We do have some exciting news, first of all, a little quick announcement. We're not doing so-called announcements, but a little quick announcement. Um, Sam Ellis was born this week. Brian and Carol, Carol Ellis, they usually sit in the back. You may have seen them, but little Sam was nine pounds, three ounces. The big baby. So we are super excited. I can't wait for uh, Brian. I talked to Brian a little bit about possibly telling some of Sam's story. So hopefully in the coming weeks uh, we get to hear some of Sam's story. But it is a cool, awesome, only God kind of story. So uh, we get to have another member of the family uh, coming here shortly. Everybody's doing well from what I understand. Um, Also, and we are having youth tonight for any of those that were uh, questioning that. Awesome. For anybody that was questioning that, since we had a big youth week, uh, yes, we will be having youth um, tonight. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to dive into something here in the next few weeks. Um, we're going to go, obviously, things look a little different this morning than they do normally. Normally, we're, like, entering into worship right now. And so we're intentionally looking at this as, as, a, as a different plan for the next few weeks. And that this plan is that this is not, quote, a sermon piece. You know, I'm not preaching to you, but I am going to get into the word with you. And we're going to kind of look at some discipleship lessons. OK, because the reality is, if we're going to grow to be like Christ and be his disciple, then we have to recognize what discipleship is. And if we understand what discipleship is, then we recognize that discipleship requires disciplines. The root of those two words are actually the same, right? A, a, a person who is a disciple of a leader is practicing the disciplines of that leader in whatever trade they may be in art form or whatever the case is the leader is discipling the person in certain disciplines of how they practice what they do and in this case we are disciples of jesus christ so we have to recognize that there are certain spiritual disciplines that christ's practice and therefore he invites us to practice and that's what we're beginning to look at this morning, and we're going to kind of dive into over the next couple of weeks. This week, we're going to look into one of these core disciplines and how it unpacks in a couple of different ways. Next week, we're going to look at God's Word. And just in a very introductory way, how do we begin, how do you read God's Word? How do you interact with God in His Word? And what is the discipline that Jesus invites us to in practicing how to make God's Word an everyday part of our life and the very part of the food that we feed on spiritually as we practice disciplines in studying God's Word. I think it's going to be very practical, hopefully very helpful, that you're not just learning to pick up your Bible and just read it like you would a book, but you have some plan and some effort to kind of engage God in the midst of getting into His Word. And then week three, we're going to look at a practical way of how do you apply all this to your life and what does this look like for you moving forward. But one of the things I want, I want to recognize kind of to start off with, Dallas Willard makes this comment that that Christians today, most of us, specifically in the Western world, we, we, if we are committed to Christ, we're committed to Christ so much to the point that if Christ, you know, put us in a situation or if we found ourselves in a situation where we had to die a martyr's death professing Christ, I think a lot of us would be willing to do that. And what Dallas points out is while a lot of Christians are willing to die a death on behalf of Christ, few really know how to live in Christ. And that's the whole purpose behind this three-week piece that we're going into, is that we're going to dive into trying to engage a life with Christ and the things that he has in store for us. 
And the reality is, if we're going to be a disciple, we have to practice these disciplines. And here's the thing about disciplines is disciplines aren't necessarily easy. <clears throat> disciplines aren't necessarily easy, right? They get easier as you practice them, you know. If I had a discipline every day to do 25 push-ups, well, right now that might be a bit of a challenge for me. But in a couple of weeks, 25 push-ups wouldn't be so difficult. And the reality is that the Lord is inviting us to have certain things that are practice common thing in our life. And that we're going to look at one of those this morning. But it is difficult. It's not a simple process all the time. But just because it's not simple doesn't mean that you're in sin. Just because a discipline is hard doesn't mean you're in sin. Disciplines aren't necessarily addressing sin. Disciplines are addressing a change that God's inviting you to. And it very well may be hard. But it's not hard because you're in sin. It's probably hard because it's a difficult thing. You with me? It might be a difficult thing for me to do 50 push-ups right now. But that didn't mean that I was in sin because it would be difficult. Just is the nature of disciplines. Are you with me? You following me? Everybody's excited about this, right? Okay. In order to, in order to be a disciple and practice these disciplines, we have to recognize that spiritual transformation has to take place. This is beginning to engage in this life in Christ, not just being at a place that we can check this box. Well, yes, I would be willing to give my life as a martyr. But now we begin pressing into how do I live my life each day moving forward and toward God, right? It's this reality that God is moving us to spiritual transformation. Spiritual transformation is when we are no longer conforming to the pattern of this world, but instead we are being transformed and living in conformity with the kingdom of God. Now, what in the world does that mean? That the way that we have all grown up knowing and living and practicing and, and rationalizing and, and looking at things in a logical standpoint may not necessarily be the way that God is inviting us to live. He is inviting us. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, uh, Paul says, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not live any longer in the pattern of the world that you have been living. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's this transformation process that we go through throughout our Christian life and that the Lord it wants to work within us, that we conform to live in the pattern of the kingdom of God instead of all that we've ever known that teaches us to conform in the pattern of the world. So you literally... In a number of different areas, we begin to swim upstream. We've been used to swimming downstream all our lives. And Christ comes into our life and he invites us to turn around and start swimming upstream. Well, if you've been swimming downstream all your life and you have to suddenly turn and start swimming upstream against the flow of the conformity of the world, is that going to be a simple thing initially or is it going to take a lot more effort than what you're used to? So, hence, disciplines come alongside and serve us to help us and to strengthen us and to exercise us to grow toward the kingdom of God and living in conformity with him. You with me? Now, spiritual formation is not a passive process. Hopefully you are getting that in what I'm saying. And if you have a hard time, join the crowd. This is why community is such a healthy part of this process is that we get to come alongside. If you look at the whole perspective of the church in the New Testament, the role of the body is to serve one another, to come alongside and to build up and to edify one another so that you're not just a fish swimming up a stream, but you're a fish swimming in a 
a school of other fish that are all making momentum together and encouraging one another together and taking turns pressing through this water that's rushing by. We help each other. And we encourage each other. And this is why this is a, the whole core of the New Testament as far as the understanding of church goes. One of the questions I have for you this morning is, do you hold this invitation that Christ puts before you and the way that he wants you to live your life? Do you hold that as the main objective for your life? Do you hold the objective for your life to be everything I'm living for is what Christ would want to do in me and who he wants to be through me? Because if we're called to be Christians, then we're following in the way of our of our leader. And this is how he lived before his father. He lived before his father in this, we're going to look at it in just a minute as we go through a number of different scriptures this, this morning. In this relationship with the father, that the, he and the father are everything. The relationship is everything. And Christ would do anything that the father asked him to do. So if we recognize that there's this intimate relationship that Jesus had with the father, and Jesus is calling us to be his disciples, then we have to recognize that there is this intimate relationship that Christ wants to have with us. And we're going to look and see what that looks like this morning. But one of the things I want to start with for you to recognize, what is the core foundation of really all relationships? Any suggestions? Any thoughts of what the core of what makes a healthy relationship? Trust? Spending time? All critically important. But the reality is, if you don't have communication... You're not going to have much of a relationship. I mean, think about it. Think about living in a house with somebody that you never spoke to and that never spoke to you. Now, you're clearly going to have assumptions of who you see them to be, and there are going to be actions that they portray themselves. But imagine living with someone that you never had any communication with. There was just a coexistence but no communication. We see that happen oftentimes in digressing marriage relationships that they just describe themselves, they cohabitate, right? They're not really in a relationship anymore. They, the, the love has been lost, right? And the, the breakdown in large part comes in this form of communication. But imagine being able not just to communicate the facts of life, of what you did during the day and, and hearing from your spouse what they did during the day, but you really move into a place of intimacy in your relationship that you communicate how this thing that you were a part of in the day made you feel, right? And you're telling them about when, when, you know, John came into your office today and he talked to me about the vacation they're going on and everything else. And you begin to express with your spouse, not just that, John, that you had somebody come into your office, but you expressed what happened in that, in that conversation and how what they said made you feel, good or bad or whatever. And you're sharing the intimacies of your feelings with that person, are you with me? That is an intimacy that's going to happen communication-wise between a husband and a wife or a close friend or in any relationship. The reality is Christ wants to have a depth of relationship with us that very much invites us to an intimacy with him that most of us have yet to fully engage in. But it requires... Swimming upstream. It requires practicing some 
tangible discipline that says, you know, I want that intimacy with Christ. I want to pursue Christ and all that he has for me. Whatever it means, he wants to put this passion within you that strives and pushes toward him that leads to this intimate relationship with him that you couldn't do without. Imagine your spouse suddenly being gone if you have this intimacy with them that you know you're missing this huge part of your life. Christ wants to grow that very thing within us And he does that by inviting us to this intimacy of communication. So as we look at Scripture, we have to recognize there are five ways that God speaks to his people. Who's got a suggestion of what one of them is? See if you know all five. Five ways God speaks to his people. Somebody throw out one. His word, the Bible, clearly, prayer, creation, Okay. It's not one of the list of the five, but I see where you could say that. Theologically, these are the five that get addressed all across the board. Five ways that God clearly speaks to his people. Fellow Christians. Very good. Holy Spirit. God speaks to you personally. And one more. This is the one that always gets missed. It's clearly in the Bible, though. Come on. Who's going to get the A this morning? Dreams and visions. Close. Good job, Harvest. Dreams and visions. God speaks through his word, speaks through fellow Christians. He speaks to us personally. He speaks through circumstances, and he speaks through dreams and visions. We're going to look this morning. We're going to look at the Bible next week. We're going to look this morning of how God speaks to us personally, because this is one of the biggest, I think, stumbling blocks for most of us. And this is why we're spending so much time into this whole series Because the foundation of this series is how God speaks to us personally. You know, we see that God speaks to us personally a couple different ways in Scripture. You know, we we look at at Moses in the burning bush, and he hears this audible voice, right? Here's this audible voice, and he sees this burning bush. Okay, well, this is a miraculous event. Have any of you had a burning bush? Anybody here had a burning bush speak to you? Okay. I have not met anybody that had a burning bush speak to them. I'm not saying God can't do that, but I don't think that's the way it's typically happening. God spoke through a donkey, Balaam's donkey, right? Bizarre, weird, donkeys aren't supposed to speak, you know. Cartoons hadn't been invented when this, when this took place, right? But here we are, and God literally speaks through a donkey. You know, God speaks, and there are, all, there are a number of different occasions where God spoke, and people around heard it as thunder. Jesus, you know... The Lord speaks to Jesus and says, you know, yes, I will glorify your name and I will glorify it again. And and this is what said in the New Testament. And they said that people around some said that they heard an angel speaking to Jesus. Others said that they heard that that it was like thunder. Right. But the Lord clearly, the scripture says that this is what the Lord said in that moment. So anybody heard thunder lately and said, oh, that must be God speaking to somebody. That's not usually what I'm thinking of when I hear thunder. I'm usually thinking, well, lightning just happened, and I wonder how far away it is. So let me count the distance between the next lightning flash and the next thunder, right? I'm not thinking, oh, that's God speaking to somebody. So there must be something missing when we recognize that God speaks to us, if God's going to speak to us. But let's first clarify, why would God speak to us? Because he loves us. And how do you have a relationship with somebody and no communication? He's the one that created this whole thing. 
He's, he created the principles of life. He created the principles of relationship. So why would Christ speak to us? And why does God want to be actively as a voice in our life and the things that we're a part of? Because he's passionately in love with us. He is love. And love, loves, one, of greatest, loves, one of love's greatest attributes is to express itself upon those that it's in front of. Yet most of us, I think this speaks back to Dallas Willard's comment, most of us know that we would be willing to step in front of a gun and profess Christ and die a martyr, but few of us really have learned how to live in Christ, in the fullness of what he has for us. And what he has for us is this engagement of life. He is ever-present before us. We believe theologically that God is ever-present. Yet we live as though he is present only in our prayer time or only in a circumstance that leads us to connect with him or only when we pick up our Bible or only when we come to church. We, we, we live practicing as though God is present only when we call on his name and it's like we rub the, the bottle and then the genie comes out. And that's just bad theology. The reality is God is ever present. And so if he's ever present... How do we participate with him in this intimate, amazing relationship that he has in store for us? Well, we just said, we have to start listening. We have to start listening. So, okay, if I listen, what am I listening for? Because a lot of Christians... In fact, I would say probably the majority of Christians, at least in the West, West would say, yes, they, you know, they think God's led them, but they've never heard an audible voice. And I've heard so many people say and make an argument for, I don't know that I've ever heard God speak. Question comes, have you ever been in a situation where you just felt like, you know, you were supposed to do this and that God was leading you this direction? and? Then you'd see a lot more hands go up. Yeah, I think I've felt that way, right? Have you ever been in a situation where you knew what you were saying and what this person just said could not possibly be a coincidence? That God is somehow out there orchestrating all these events and led us to this divine moment, this moment and this, this divine interaction between this person for me to run into this person this time because God is out there orchestrating every, everything. A few more hands would probably go up, Right? But yet most people would say, well, I've never heard God speak. Have you ever been in a prayer time where you felt like suddenly urged to pray for this specific thing and you had no idea why you were praying for it? Or this specific person and you had no idea why their name came into your, into your mind or their face came to your mind? But you've never heard this audible voice. Let me just tell you, I feel like God speaks to me all the time. I don't know if I've ever heard an audible voice. But his voice has become so loud that it is, almost seems audible to me a lot of the time. So where's the bridge between these two things? The reality is God speaks into your mind thoughts that are his thoughts. He speaks into your mind thoughts that aren't you. All those little instances that I just talked about, the circumstance, the divine appointment you had with somebody, the urge to suddenly pray for somebody, the thing to know that I need to, you know, do this specific thing, I feel led in this direction, that's God speaking. 
And he's placing thoughts in your thoughts. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody about the Lord and suddenly stepped back from yourself and realized, wow, I said things I've never really thought of before there. But you could speak to them as though they were true. If you haven't had that experience, let me tell you, it's really cool. I'm excited that you're going to get to experience this. Because I can tell you you're going to get to experience this because I can tell you this is the plan that God has for you because he loves you. And he could not be a loving God and have a plan for you to engage with him in a loving relationship and take communication off the table. He's the one that created relationships to be founded on healthy communication. And so he wants to speak. And he wants to speak thoughts into your mind about who he is. He wants to clarify who you are. He wants to invite you to join him in what he does. And in living a life to pursue that, you're beginning to live a life to engage Christ and experience the abundance of life that he says he came to bring. So how do you do that, Scott? Right? Okay, so I have had some of those circumstances or experiences. So how do you do that? Let me just add, we're going to look at, we're going to first look at a, at, at a number of verses here. So I need some patience, okay? Discipline, we're about to turn and swim upstream, okay? If you had not heard a challenge so far, I'm about to read a bunch of verses to you. Normally, this is when people tune out in church. I'm challenging you to take on the discipline, to listen, and to look at these verses with me because we're going to pack some things in it. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John. We're going to dive into John this morning. I love, I love what we're about to dive into. Because I'm confident that Jesus has a plan and a pattern here that he wants us to see and wants us to live in. So John chapter 5 is where we're going to begin this morning. Again, I need some patience and some grace. I'm going to begin reading in verse 16. John chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus is speaking. He says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. He was healing all these people on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, my father is always at work. Pause. How often is the Father at work? Oh, how often is God at work? Is God never not at work? He is how often at work? He's always at work. We could make a sermon out of that. Just pause right there. I'm telling you, if you recognize that God is always at work, you never have to wonder what is God doing Or is he even here? Because he is absolutely here. He is ever-present, and he is always at work. So your job is to start to discern, okay, if he's always at work and he is ever-present, then my role is to discern or understand what he is doing and engage him and join him in that. You with me? It's really simple. But it's profound if you want to live a life in Christ. So my father is always at work to this very day. And I, too, am working. For this reason, the Jews tried to kill him, tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than this. Skipping down now, John chapter 5, verse 30. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only what as I hear, and my judgment is just, Jesus says. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If this is how Jesus lived, 
and we're to be his disciples, how should we then live? Jesus says, I seek not to please myself, but simply the one who sent me. Now, jumping over into this this several chapters that we're going to get into, that's John chapter 5. Now we jump forward to John chapter 12. Jesus says, For I did not speak on my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me to in what to say and how to say it. I know that this command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just is just what the Father has told me to say. Hmm. John chapter 14, two more chapters ahead. Verses 9 through 10. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for, for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And how can you say, show me the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the, that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Further down in that chapter, verse 30. I will not speak with, my, with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Anybody pick up the pattern in those verses of what Jesus is saying throughout John? He's saying, look. This is the relationship I have with the Father. I'm healing people on the Sabbath. You're mad at me because I'm healing people on the Sabbath. I tell you, I can do nothing on my own. I simply do what I see the Father doing. I simply say what I hear the Father saying. The words that I have to share with you are not my own. I'm simply telling you what I hear the Father saying. You see that? I don't live to please myself. I live to please the Father. And the world must see that I will be obedient, even to the point of death, that I will be obedient to whatever the Father puts before me. Do you see? That, that, that there is this dependency that Christ has to his Father that is everything to him. That he lives as though, literally, he says, I simply do what I see the Father doing, and I simply say what I hear the Father saying. Follow me? By with me on that? All right, let's look at a little bit change of change of pace here. John chapter 14. Now we see something else starting to take place. John chapter 14, verse 12. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the father. Oh, now that sounds scarily familiar with something that Jesus says earlier in John chapter five. We're in John chapter 14, verse 12. I tell you, you will see even greater things happen, right? You will do, those who have faith will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these. And then what, back to John chapter 5. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. Jesus is saying, the Father's going to, you think healing people is amazing. I tell you the truth, we're not done yet. There's even greater things that, um, that you're going to be amazed by, by what the Lord, lead, by what my Father has for me to do. Chapter 14, I tell you, you, my disciples, are going to do even greater things than this. Chapter 5, he's talking about what's going to come from Christ because he sees the Father doing these things. In chapter 14, Jesus is now saying what's going to happen in you because Christ is going to do even greater things through you. So I hope you're already starting to pick up on this pattern that Jesus lives in this dependency relationship with the Father to simply say, I live not for my own. I simply do what I see the Father doing and say what I hear the Father saying. And what you're going to see now in these next few few verses is 
He is inviting us to simply join him in that same pattern by living a life that says, I simply do what I see Christ doing and say what I hear Christ saying. John chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How many times did Jesus say, apart from the Father, I can do nothing? If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch who is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Further down in that chapter, verse 14 and 15. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not, does not know what his master's business Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from the Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. This is my command that you love one another. Christ's plan is for us to abide in him. He's, paint, he's painted a picture. He's, he's using a, a word analogy that was very common to us, very common to them You're a vine. I'm the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me. Press into the core of who I am and fruit will happen. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's already how he's described his relationship to the Father. Apart from me, I can do nothing. This is Jesus saying this. So if Jesus is saying this, how much more are we incapable of anything spiritually unless it is Christ flowing through us And his invitation is to abide. His invitation is to press into the depth of who he is, press into this nectar of life that exists within the vine, and then fruit will happen. And fruit will happen not because we're such a good branch, but fruit will happen for the glory of the Father because that's the motivation behind all of the fruit within the kingdom of God. That we're no longer living in conformity to the pattern of this world that we're seeking things for our own pleasure and our own glory. Now we're living life in connection with the kingdom of God and the glory for God is the fruit that is being born in our life. Deja vu. The fruit of the glory of God is the plan for your life. That you are not living in the pattern for the glory of yourself as the world has taught you to live. But the very nectar of God will flow through you and to bear fruit that you don't even half the time necessarily know it's going to happen. It just pops out because it wants to give God all the credit and all the glory. And you get to sit back in amazement and say, wow, that was cool. I want to do that again. I want to enter into a relationship. I want to have a conversation with somebody like that again. It's the most addictive thing, I think, on the planet to be a pastor and watch God change lives before your very eyes. I don't know what else I would do. Whatever occupation I would go into other than this, I would have to somehow be a part of seeing the kingdom of God change lives before my very eyes because it is the most amazing, life-giving thing I've ever personally witnessed. And I don't want to do anything else. In fact, I just want to see that increase exponentially, that every day I just come in and see lives change before my very eyes because I'm going to go home on cloud nine watching God bear this fruit because of this Just passion I have for him. 
He wants your heart to just want to abide. And when your heart's motivation is is that, friends, you have no idea how much life is going to come through who you are. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. That's That's the best description I have for what that might look like. Continue reading. How does this happen now? Well, let's look. John chapter 14. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Pause. Does that sound easy? We've all been kids before with parents. Did obeying our parents, was that always easy? I got some spankings to prove it was not always easy. I had my own will, I had my own way I wanted to do things, and I did not want to necessarily always do things the way my parents wanted me to do it. And so it was hard to choose, but it took discipline to choose to do the right thing, right? The world is not headed necessarily in the right direction, so it's going to take discipline to head in a different direction. It's not necessarily going to be easy. But Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I command. You're my friends if you do what I command. Okay, if you love me, you'll do what I command. John 14, 15. Now, verse 16, and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. He lives with you and will be in you. We don't just have this distant relationship with the father and with Christ. He is going to send his Holy Spirit to come live within us. Now, most of you probably knew this. But the whole how in to allow this presence of a person to come live in your life and for you to give over the reins of control of your life to this new presence is not necessarily an easy thing. But it is an extremely life-giving thing. So you have a person living inside of you that, it, that has a will that wants to choose to do something different than the way you've always done it. John 14, 23, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. Wow, that sounds awfully familiar. That's repeated a bunch of times in these chapters. I think there's an important piece to obedience. My father will love him and we will come and and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey me. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. And all this I have spoken to you while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So who teaches you? Is Jesus Christ himself teaching you? Every encounter, every interaction that you would say as a Christian you've had with Jesus Christ has actually been the Holy Spirit. But they are one. It is the very Spirit of Christ interacting with you, but he's the Holy Spirit. You've not, I don't think anybody in here has actually seen Jesus Christ in the flesh. I think because he's sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf, but he has sent the Holy Spirit to be the very interaction that we engage with and know God. John chapter 16, verse 12 through 15. I have much more to say to you, Jesus says, more than you can now bear. But when the Holy Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. 
Wow, does that sound anything like what Jesus said his relationship with the Father was? Okay, so you've got Jesus repetitively. I hope you get this. is why I'm, we're repeating these, reading through how this is written the number of different times in John. Jesus says, apart from the Father, I can do nothing. Y'all want to kill me for healing people on the Sabbath? I'm not concerned about it. I'm simply doing what I see the Father doing and saying what I hear the Father saying. It does not concern me whether or not you're pleased with it or not. I have to be, and I live in obedience with the Father. These words that you hear me saying are not my own. They're the words that the Father has given me to say to you. Then Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, when the Counselor comes, He will come and live inside of you. And he has, I have more things to say to you, more things to reveal to you, more things to remind you of, of what I have said in this life that, God, that the Father gave him. And the Holy Spirit is going to remind you of those things. The Holy Spirit is going to take the things that I give him, and he's going to repeat them to you. Do you see this, this dependency, this pattern that exists within the Trinity? So the Father sent the Son, the Son sends the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit sends us. Jesus prays in John chapter 17, Father, may they be one as you and I are one, that I in them and, and them in me, that they get to share in the glory that you have given me, that we get to somehow, by the Spirit of God coming and waking up the soul that we have, we get to participate with the Trinity for eternity. God does not share his glory with another, yet he invites us to be one with him and to be made like Christ, to be able to dwell with Christ for eternity. And, you know, that's just not for eternity. That's for here and now. Christ has a plan for you to live in a relationship with the Holy Spirit that you simply are in this place that when God, you're abiding in him and he flows through you and produces life and fruit for the glory of the Father through your life into other people. And they'll say, like, what is all this about? And they say, look, I just feel like God showed me this. This is what God's telling me. This is what God's showing me. I'm just simply doing what I see him doing. I don't understand it. I just try to be obedient to it when he shows me. Guess what? How often is God working? All the time. How often is he present? All the time. Dallas Willard says... On my notes. Dallas Willard says, Where God is not obvious, it is because he is interested in the will of a man. Where God is not obvious, it is because he is interested in the will of a man. God allows there to be space that we feel between ourselves and him because he is interested in your will growing to abide in a deeper way in him. He is still ever-present, but he allows a felt space to be between us, to invite us to a deeper, greater pressing in to who he is. It is the very thing that he allows to happen, to be a test upon our hearts. Will you press into me when you don't feel me present? Is he present? Yes, he's present. Do you always feel him present? No. It is an invitation by the Father himself to invite your will to come to the table. 
And here's one of the challenges that you get to do. It's a discipline. We often, we often find and we recognize, I want you to see, that emotions often rule our lives. Emotions can become a very God dictating to us our direction and our actions. We're mad, we're angry, we act on those emotions. Emotions are never there to play a role of God in your life. Emotions are not your God. Jesus Christ is your God. And the Holy Spirit is the very essence of Christ within your life. And the Lord has given you and I a will. And he wants us to turn our will toward him. And so the way I look at this is that he has given, you have to put a bit in the mouth of your will. And when your emotions or when something is leading you in, a, in, a, in the wrong direction or you find yourself kind of conforming with the pattern of this world, then Christ is inviting that space that you feel, that temptation that wants to move back to the way. And let's just, let's just take a break here. Let's kind of turn sideways and float back downstream for a little bit because I'm kind of tired. And, and this is a little bit hard. And I don't know that I'm up for hard or I don't really know what this is. It's just supposed to be good stuff, right? I'm, I, I've got fire insurance, right? I'm going to heaven. You know, that's really kind of what this whole thing was about. But no, 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 no. Christ said that you might have life and have it to the full now. So you get to put a bit in the mouth with your will. You get to put a bit in the mouth of self and yank the head of self back around to Christ and close that distance of the space that the Lord has invited you to feel. It is not because he is not present and it is not because he does not love. It is because he very loves. It is the absolute essence because he loves that he invites that space because he wants to draw you into a deeper place. He wants to he wants you to learn the discipline of putting the bit in the mouth of self and saying, no, we're pursuing Christ. And that motivation of the heart and the practice to motivate your heart and to take the rein into your hand and to turn your heart back to God is the essence of learning to live in Christ. And friends, how much of life have we missed out on up till now? He is ever present. He is always at work. And he is doing a great thing within us because he wants us to press into who he is. He wants to communicate to us. He wants to place thoughts in our mind. He wants to invite us to do things that just don't make sense and then to trust that it's going to work out and then to see fruit come and you look back on you have a testimony. You won't believe what happened to me today because you lived in this same pattern of life in connection with the Holy Spirit that the Father, that the Father and the Son had together when Christ was on this earth, walking around in the flesh. He's saying, now come and follow me. Obey my commands and live in me, and the Holy Spirit will grow and be a life in you. This is life. This is abundance. And if we try to define abundance or life by anything else, we completely miss who God invites us to be with him. The reality is we have so often, we're all guilty of this, I am too, we have priority list, right? And we put... Christ transforming me, Christ living his life through me, somewhere down on the list. All the little circumstances, all the tasks, all the checklists, all the 
the grocery store runs and ball games to make it to and work projects that have to be done somehow kind of make their way up the priority list. And this is on there. And then in certain moments, it kind of makes its way back up and you can give some attention to it. But the reality is problems happen in life when priorities are out of place. And Christ is saying, I hope you see in John, the priority in my life is to be connected and simply do what I see the Father doing and say what I hear the Father saying. That's it. Everything else I just trust is going to take place. And when we let anything else try to slip its way ahead of that, and we're not looking and pressing into what Christ wants to do and listening to what is he leading me toward, when we let anything else, then problems start to happen. Pressure starts to build. Anxiety is at hand. Why is that? Because there's been a disconnect. Because the priorities have gotten out of place. And it's as simple as that. that. To live your life every day, every breath, that to live, Paul says, to live is Christ. Christ in me. That's what I live for. And that's the invitation that Christ has for us. And he does this by speaking to us. He does this by engaging us in, in conversation, by speaking thoughts into our heads. And one of the ways that I describe this, you may have heard me say this before, it's like eating ice cream for me. I like ice cream. You blindfold me, you stick a spoon of vanilla in my mouth, I'm going to tell you it's vanilla. You stick a spoon of chocolate in my mouth, I'm going to be able to tell you it's chocolate. I can probably do the whole 31 flavors, okay? But the reality is it becomes something because I like ice cream. I can discern blindfolded. The voice of God very much... As thoughts, the voice of God very much becomes a practiced reality that you learn to discern specific things about that sounds an awful lot like God. There are things that you'll know that you know that you know. That ain't my thought. I, I know that that's something I feel like I need to say right now. Right? There are conversations that God wants to have through you. If the Holy Spirit, I, had, I have a, a, somebody who came to me and said they were going to start, you know, discipling uh, some ladies. And they said, you know, but I really feel like, you know, they kind of want me to counsel them. And I am, Scott, I am just not a counselor. I don't know how to counsel somebody. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Let's come back to theology. Who does Jesus say the Holy Spirit is? It's a counselor. What does the Holy Spirit do? He counsels. So if the Holy Spirit is a counselor... And he counsels, guess what's going to happen through a Christian that has the Holy Spirit in them? They are going to counsel people. Wow. We're going to look at that week three. What does counseling people look like? Because there's a big difference in what we typically do and what the Holy Spirit wants to do. We're going to unpack that in the third week. But the Holy Spirit wants to flow through you. He wants to speak thoughts that he hears from Jesus Christ himself into your life. So where are we missing that up to this point? Communication, while communication can be extremely difficult, as we probably all know, if you have any experience in life, if you're over 10, you know communication can be difficult, right? But the reality is communication principally is very simple. How do you engage somebody in a conversation? If I wanted to start a conversation with John Rock right now, what would be a good thing for me to do? 
Hey. So here's the how. Here's the how. This is how you engage with the Holy Spirit to hear. So number one, you stop talking. Stop thinking so much. Try to still your mind. This is called the discipline of solitude. Try to just still your mind and be, be still that you can hear what God would have to say. And then do what? You ask a question. I'm going to tell you, if you ask a question, what are you doing, Father? What can I join you in? In the work that you're doing in this world to glorify your name? Guess what? I'm pretty convinced you're going to hear something. A thought. It's going to come to mind. And what do you do with this thought? Well, you do your best to just obey it. As, you know, I was in the early processes of my Christian life, I just kind of became convinced that I needed to press into this and recognize God has a plan in this. And I want to, if, if it means me looking like a fool, I'd rather be a fool than to miss out on the opportunity that God has for me. Now, I don't want anybody to go jump off any bridge or anything. It needs to align itself. The thought needs to align itself with truths in Scripture. We're going to get into that in the coming weeks. But the thought is going to sound a certain way, and it's going to align itself with the truths of Scripture, or you can discount it as the pizza you ate, you know, and you got a little heartburn. But the reality is God wants to speak because he loves you, he loves me, and he does not want this felt presence, I mean, this felt distance between us to be the plan. That is not the plan. That plan is to invite you into a loving relationship with him. So here's what you're going to get to do. I'm giving you homework. It's not a sermon. It's a teaching. It's discipleship. You get to leave with responsibility to go apply. You ready? So get your pen out. Give me homework. You're going to go write a letter this week. You're going to write at the top of the letter your first name. Right? And then you got three questions that you're going to answer, right? It's just, a, it's just an exercise. What have you got to lose? The first question that you're going to write, like we have them up here, so you can write them down. First question, you're going to, you're just, just write down the questions first, and I'll explain how it works. First question, what do you think of me? Second question, what do you want to change in me? And third question, what do you want to say to me? What do you think of me? What do you want to change in me? And what do you want to say to me? And what you're going to do, you're going to get pen and paper, pencil and paper, and just go sit down, reserve some time, quiet, away from the kids, go to the library if you have to, schedule a time with your spouse or whatever. Go take at least an hour to just go sit. And you're going to, what you're going to do is you're going to ask this question, you're going to write it down. What do you think of me? And then you're going to take your pencil, and you're going to sit there with the paper, and you're just going to invite God to speak to you. And you're just going to write the thoughts that come into your head. You don't process it. You don't try to get grammar right. You're not spell-checking yourself. You just start writing the thoughts that come to your head. You might get a sentence. You might get ten pages. But you're just going to answer that question, asking God to put the thoughts in your head he wants you to write. Don't go back and immediately read it. Then go to the next question. Same thing, all three questions. And then I want you to look back and read over the things that you wrote down. And just try it. Look back and see. Uh, 
is this something that you thought up, or do you think maybe in some way something in there was something that God wanted to say to you? How did this happen? Because you asked him a question, and because he loves you. and He wants to close the distance as you pursue to abide in him. The reality is, there is this intimacy that Christ so passionately wants for each of us. But we have to be his disciples. And we have to choose to engage into disciplines that lead us to practicing his presence in everything we do. And I look forward to unpacking that with you in the coming weeks. We're going to watch a little video piece to kind of wrap this up in a minute. And then we're going to enter into a time of worship. In this time of worship, I just want you to be able to step back, try to calm your thoughts down. And just come back to the Lord. Come back to the reality that he loves you and he's passionate about reconnecting with you. God loves, let me read a couple little notes I have here. God loves for his beloved children to turn to him and ask questions. This engages God in whatever we find ourselves doing. Reality is, we're going to watch this piece on soldiers. When soldiers go away, they connect with their family through Skype or the Internet these days or phone calls or whatever the case may be. But there's something powerful that happens when fathers can return home to be dads again. Let's see this. It's a special that ESPN put out just recently.
One of the things I want you to see in, in watching this is not just to stir emotion, but to stir the reality that when David said that I will be, and he's dancing around in his underwear, he said, I will be even more undignified than this. There's a passion that exists within you that God wants to stir, that invites you into a deeper relationship with himself. As you see people welcoming their husbands and dads back, the, the rules and order of what's acceptable in society are out the window. Hairs flying, makeup's messed up, undignified. And that is within you. And Christ wants you to bring that to him. And from that place, there is life unlike maybe you've ever known. He's inviting you back to that place. I'm going to invite the the prayer team to come up. We're just going to lead into worship for the next few minutes, and Harvest is going to sing. And I just invite you to put a bit in the mouth of self and say, let's go. Let's return to this love that is passionate. And let me give myself to this, even if it means me being undignified, because he is everything to me. Jesus says in, in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 7, says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Can I just take the heart behind that and transition it a little bit? If you then... Though you are evil, know how to show love for those who have been away. How much more will the Father in heaven show his love for those who earnestly seek him? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you do not give up on us. You are always at work. You are ever present before us. Stir our hearts and let us live with you for a passion. To, be, to live a life in obedience with you asking you questions, engaging with you throughout a day, and just learning to have this intimate relationship as you communicate with us. Come, Lord, stir us as we turn and pursue you. Have your way. Strip everything away so all I have is you come undo the veils so all I see is you strip everything away so all I have is you oh come on do the veil so all I see is you Oh, I will pursue you, I will pursue your presence.
and just continue to worship in a way that we worship here at Vintage, and we're going to take up the offering. The way we do that is that you're invited to come and place your offering in this basket. 
whether or not you have any money to contribute, we just invite you to come and offer your heart, offer your will, offer a plan to pursue the life that the Lord has to live through you and just lay that before him. So feel free to come.